You're listening to Recovery Nuggets Podcast, where we give you recovery nuggets to chew on and think about on your journey in recovery and on the path, featuring your host, David Clemen. What's up, all your recovery nuggets out there? This is David. Wanted to hop on and give you a quick intro to this week's episode. It's a replay of an episode earlier this season. And it's Gina Schaefer. She is the author of a new book that's coming out tomorrow, September 1st. It's called Recovery Hardware. And she is on Instagram at Recovery Hardware is her handle. She also has a website, GinaSchaefer.com. And it's S-C-H-A-E-F-E-R. We have an interesting conversation about recovery, entrepreneurship, working with people and hiring people in recovery and dealing with the ups and downs of that and how it has enriched the business. So I hope you enjoy this episode and thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of Recovery Nuggets. I'm your host, David Clement. I'm here with Gina Schaefer. Hey, Gina. Hi, how are you? Great. I've been, we've been uh, chit-chatting about travel and recovery and all kind of good stuff before the show. So um, Gina and I connected on Instagram and she has an interesting story and her, her work is centered around entrepreneurship and hiring um, people that are in recovery. So I wanted to have her on and have a conversation and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's one of my favorite topics. So thank you for asking me to participate. Oh, this is great. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about your story and, you know, how recovery hardware got started and, and we'll go from there. Yeah. So I live in a neighborhood called Logan Circle in Washington, D.C. And uh, Logan Circle was destroyed by the riots when Martin Luther King was assassinated. And so one of the the interesting parts of the story is is really that we helped the neighborhood recover. And I don't mean we personally, but me, but opening a hardware store in a neighborhood that has boards on the windows and people moving in and people cleaning up parks and opening new businesses um, is the perfect place for a hardware store. And so I had moved to this neighborhood because it was affordable and got involved with the community and all of my neighbors wished we had a hardware store. I got laid off from my job for the third time. I was in the tech industry, kind of a tech reject and um, decided I was going to start a hardware store. So I did. And unbeknownst to me down the road was the Whitman Walker Addiction Services Program, which is this amazing um, uh, healthcare provider service um, nonprofit that happens to be in Logan Circle. And they had an addiction services program attached to it. And one day when I was working, one of my um, now friends walked down the street and said, I'm from the WAS, which is what the program is referred to as. He said, will you give me a job? I've been clean for about six weeks. And I did, I didn't, I honestly, I mean, I didn't, I was a new business owner, meaning I was frantic. I was trying to do everything every day. Um, I didn't have time to think about whether or not I should care that Shane was in recovery for only six weeks and what that meant. And, and um, he owns a business now. We have a lot of laughs when we think back to us being young men and, and just, you know, some of the experiences that we shared. So I hired him. And Shane worked with us in the hardware store for about 11 months and we grew, we started, and I say we, my husband uh, joined me in that business. So my husband and I are business partners and about 10 or 11 months after Shane started working there, he got very upset one day and he left 
And when he left, he said, I never want to see you again. You're a terrible employer and I never want to talk to you again. Ooh. And I was devastated. Um, I, I'm, I'm smiling as, as I'm talking about it. Cause again, he and I have laughed about it to this point. I wasn't cognizant enough as a leader to call him and say, Oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? What happened? I was so worried about building this business that I just said, okay, you win some, you lose some. And, and Shane left my life. Mm. Well, the best part about Shane leaving my life is that he went back to the Whitman Walker Addiction Services Program and he started telling all of the guys in his rooms that they should come work with the lady at the hardware store. And so he said that, that they should. Yeah. So he sent Scott, who brought, who brought Brian, who brought Mark, who brought like, and all of a sudden I had this entire team basically of um, folks in recovery who were attending programs at Whitman Walker, who somehow had a connection to this crazy guy named Shane. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of the two second blur about how it got started, but Shane and I, so fast forward, he um, got to the amends step in his 12 step mm -hmm. program. Yeah. And it was a couple years later and he came and he knocked on the door and he said, I want to apologize. And of course I said, apologize for what? You know, we were young. We didn't know what we were doing. I didn't bother to call you. I should have known that I should help you that, you know, whatever. Um, but he said, you know, I, I shouldn't have left like that. And we both probably made events with each other at that point. And uh, we have been friends ever since. So, and then um, Mark, who came to work after Shane, who still works on my team. So 19 years later, Mark is clean and wow. sober and uh, uh, an executive on my team. Um came in one day and he said, you know, this place is called recovery hardware in the community, um, which was probably the, uh, I still get emotional when I think about him saying that to me. It was a really meaningful moment for me because we didn't set out or actively plan for our business to have hiring practices mm -hmm. um, like we do. It happened very organically in such a beautiful way. And it just became so much a part of our culture that we didn't think about it. And I didn't really think anybody noticed, to be honest. So, what a compliment. I mean, yeah, tremendous wow. compliment. It's kind of like you can't give yourself a nickname. Your, your friends have to give it to you, you know, and yeah. like the community saying, oh, yeah, that's recovery hardware. That's exactly that's a, what happened. That's really yeah. cool. Thanks. Yeah. So it's funny because I'm laughing at Shane because when I was using and, and, and getting clean and stuff. I quit a couple jobs over the years because of whatever was going on with me. It had nothing to do with the place. Yeah. You know, and then, but I went to this meeting last night and it was about forgiveness and how it had a graphic of two people handcuffed together, but they weren't facing each other. And then forgiveness was in the middle and, and we went around the move. This wasn't a 12 step meeting. It was more with a church, but we were all asked the question, like, what does this image mean to you? And, you know, everybody shared their thing. And I looked at it and I just thought it's two people that want to be right, but they can't just turn their heads and have a conversation, but they're still yeah. tied to each other, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's you, a great visual. Yeah. And so it's so cool that, you know, you, you had the awareness to know that you were young and you were learning and, you know, that's pretty cool. Well, I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair for me to make this um, to make this similar 
But when you are a young entrepreneur, your head is not screwed on straight. I mean, Mm. for most of us, right? I started a business I knew nothing about. I had never run a retail business. I had had never dealt with the 30,000 products that I had in my stores, all of the things. And I remember Shane saying to me that he, he didn't have his head screwed on straight because he was so early in recovery. All he knew was that he needed to keep moving. Mm-hmm. And all I knew is that I had a place where I needed people who moved and we were the perfect marriage in that way. But I, I couldn't be, keep a, a thought straight enough to be able to support him in the way that I now, you know, I can now yeah. support him because I'm fortunately smarter than I was then and have more support than I, than I did then. Um, and we just, we, we made it work until we didn't. And then yeah. I think the beauty of the whole story is that we all came back together. We came we had a we had a, a gentleman in Larry who was in recovery who had um, the keys to the store and we have video cameras and Larry broke in one night and, and stole some money and he made a mess. Well, we laugh about it now because he was very fastidious and he came back in two hours later to clean up and it wasn't because he didn't want us to know what happened. It's because he was embarrassed that he made a mess. <laughs> and so you know, the, I can tell you like the whole like the years in between, but we ended up going out to dinner one night with Larry years later. And my husband said, you know, I'm not going to judge anyone by the best or worst thing they ever did. And this was in the past. And I Mm. thought that was the perfect attitude with which to accept some of these experiences because people will say, how could you trust somebody in, in, Mm -hmm. in recovery? And I can tell you a million stories where people have done things wrong that were never in recovery. Well, how, how would I have known not to trust that person, et cetera. So, um, I liked Mark's, Marcus, my husband, I liked the, you can't judge anyone by the best or worst thing. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of, I used to work with this guy who, man, he, it was early in recovery and I would share some of the stuff that he would do. And I just thought he was an awful person and all this other stuff. My first sponsor said, you know, Dave, the same person can teach you who you want to be and who you don't want to be in the same day. Yeah. And I always thought, there it is. I mean, we all fall short, but we all have these amazing basic goodness qualities that we exercise on a daily basis, you know? Yeah. Well, sometimes you need to see what a bad boss is. So, you know, you don't want to be him or her. Right. Right. Pretty yeah. wild. Well, yeah. let me, I have a question about Ace Hardware that I've always sure. wanted to ask. Yeah. The customer service, it doesn't matter which one you go to is like, when you walk in, someone's like, how can I help you? Like, I love like, it. It doesn't, I mean, down here in Virginia where I grew up. So yeah. is that part of the culture of the company? If you're a franchisee or something like that? Yeah. So, um, so Ace is a cooperative, which a lot of people don't know. There actually aren't any franchises for hardware okay. in the United States. Actually, okay. I'm not sure if there's franchises for hardware anywhere in the world. Um, so we're the largest, Ace is the largest cooperative in the country wow, and yeah. they're, mission. Um, well, so truly ACE was put together to help us get better pricing period. It's a purchasing co-op. And so when it started in 1924, the guys that got together said, we want to get better pricing from our vendors so that we can get better pricing to our customers. And then what it has evolved to almost a hundred years later is wraparound services for small business owners like me who want to build a hardware business, but might not know how to get insurance or might need help with a training program or help with a website. So there are a whole lot of other very sophisticated programs they help us with as a co-op. ACE's mission is to be the most helpful hardware store on the planet. So I would say 
people who gravitate towards retail tend to be helpful in general. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not a good business to be in in any way if you don't want to be helpful somehow. Um, and then I think to me, at least because they they say the most helpful hardware store on the planet, and I want to live up to that. I don't want to let that mantra down. So we create a culture within our own independent businesses, but we have that really to think about. So yeah, I mean, if you go anywhere in the country, you're going to get bad service at an ACE store. I mean, right. and, and we provide it to you sometimes, but by and large, um, there are small business owners that create teams that have people who love helping people. Um, you know, I tell my team, geek out about something in the store. Do you want to be a nerd about plumbing or plants yeah. or housewares or whatever? You can come here with little or no experience to find something that's really going to jazz you up. Um, and then that you'll, the customers will feel that they'll feel that enthusiasm. So thank you for noticing, I guess. <laughs> oh, most definitely. I mean, you know, compared to the big box stores, it's not even close, you know, and that's no disrespect to them. I know how things are these days and so forth, but yeah, I'd rather go to the small one right up the street. Well, we, the small store appreciates it for sure. Yeah. Um, there's about 5,000 East stores nationally. Um, most store owners own two stores. Um, the majority own two or fewer stores. Okay. And so, um, we, we are a little bit of an exception, um, in a group yeah. that, that has multiple locations, but we're just yeah. small business owners. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's get back to the, um, the hiring practice of bringing in people in yeah. recovery. So now that it's a thing with your company and you you have word of mouth, how do you get new employees that are kind of like Shane told other people come work for Gina and then are there, do you have more outreach as well? Yeah. I think one of the coolest things that happens is that people know not to be afraid to talk about it. And so a new employee may come to an interview and I'm in recovery might be part of the interview process coming from them. I mean, mm-hmm. we're certainly not going to ask, but to me, that makes that makes me really proud to know that people in the community know they can come in and bring that up and not face any backlash because that mm-hmm. it's shocking to me that that is still a problem mm-hmm. for so many employers. And so um, I, we we don't actively go out and recruit from recovery programs per se, but the Whitman Walker Clinic is still across the street from my main store. Several of my managers have come through that program or others. And so they know when they're running um, their own location that that's part of the culture and that they should feel comfortable hiring people from um, recovery programs that are close to them. Yeah. That's great. So Thanks. I want to ask you this too. Uh, well, I have a couple questions. What have you found? What do you find so amazing about working with people in recovery? I mean, are there any traits or is there anything that really stands out? Oh my gosh, there's so many things. Um, the resiliency for one is just incredible. I mean, the amount of effort that it takes to get, to put yourself into a recovery situation and stay there, you know, is so incredibly challenging. Um, people don't choose to become addicts. They have to choose to recover in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Right. Um, and it's not easy. So the resiliency is tough. If I ask my mother to give up her candy for 30 days, she would, you know, she'd have a meltdown. Right. Like she's not going to do it. Or if you ask me to give up coffee for 30 days, you're going to get a lot of backlash. But we are, we are talking about people who have given up something for the rest of their lives that, that was controlling their lives. And, you know, they felt like they needed or they didn't. Need. Um, so anyway, I think resiliency is, is a big part of it. COVID was a very good, um, 
I guess, illustration of people needing a place to go. And so I had a whole host of teammates who just showed up because they wanted a place to go. They didn't want to be isolated. They didn't want to be home alone. Um, Regardless of how they felt about the job, it was a place for them to go. Um, So that was, that was a big deal. And and it was, it was helpful for me to know that we were creating a, or that we had a place like that. Um, I've heard words over the years, like loyalty, because it might be harder to find a job somewhere else. I don't always think that's good because I want people to move on and up if that's what they want. But um, there is a sense of loyalty, I think, um, for for having a safe first job to go to and come back to. I mean, we've sent folks to back to recovery, back to rehab, and then and then they've come back again. So they know that um, that they don't have a, a stigma yeah. about that. Yeah. Well, that was that leads me into the the other question. I was going to ask is since you now you are familiar with the recovery community and you you've had a lot of employees come through your doors on top of what Ace Hardware offers employees do you have other things for employees that are in recovery I would say we don't have anything specific I I would okay. say that we are we are much more likely or more understanding now of things like a leave of absence to go into mm-hmm. recovery saving a job for someone to feel comfortable with coming back. I had a, um, I have a, a, a young teammate who really needed to go leave to go to rehab and we had helped him find a place in a, a facility in Maryland. And he just kept saying, well, I can't leave my job. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, I was so easy for me to say, it'll be here when you get back. Mm-hmm. And that I know made a big impact on him being comfortable with leaving. So, um, I don't think anything bigger than that, yeah. unless you want to include, which we should, managers who are also very supportive because a lot of them have been in the same, same boat. Yeah. So. Now, yeah. And so, um, uh, I asked you before we started, I asked if you're in recovery, but you do mm-hmm. have an interesting story about alcohol as far as your personal life. Yeah. So I, I mean, I was, you know, I drank a lot and I started drinking more and more and every January I would quit. I would do dry January. And I, yeah. I felt like, you know, I was drying out after the holidays. And one year I decided that I wanted to also continue to stop. And I wanted to keep, keep quitting as I called it. So February, I didn't drink March. I didn't drink. And, and then all of a sudden I realized I felt better. Um, and that I probably did have a drinking problem that I needed to address. And, and as long as I, continued to add months together. I was fine. I wasn't going to drink anymore. And so it's been since 2017. Um, so I feel like it's given me so much more appreciation for what my team members in recovery have actually gone through. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. That's awesome. I, uh, I was thinking about now that we've been talking, so you started in Oh three or Oh nine. Oh three. Yeah. Okay. 2003. So this neighborhood was kind of, it sounds like it was kind of bombed out. It was yep. just kind of a rough neighborhood. You go in, you start this hardware store, which when you live in an urban uh, area, like the city, it's hard to find. Yep. And then by happenstance, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, people in recovery start showing up. Did you notice the neighborhood recovering as well? Like what, what Yeah. Can you we, talk we about did. that a little bit? Yeah. Well, so it's it's an interesting byline. Um, I, I I so I just I just finished writing a book, which is a whole other topic, but it's it's not the point. When I was writing the book, I started realizing that the recovery had so many applications. It was mm-hmm. not just Shane and my teammates. It was 
the fact that I had stopped and that I had, I had recovered as a tech reject and that, oh my gosh, we had been in this neighborhood that had been destroyed. And now it was in recovery from all of these things that had happened in the past. And so it was a more holistic view of the community at at large. Um, And the neighborhood just kept getting better. And we don't get any credit for that. I mean, the credit that we get is that there were so many houses in disrepair that needed hardware. Mm -hmm. And we happened to be the people here to give them hardware. I mean, that's, that's our small piece. Um, there were very few businesses when we opened the first uh, first location is called Logan Hardware. Um, when Logan Hardware opened, there were very few businesses. And so we had a ton of community support um, because we were new and taking a chance on this neighborhood that, that had so many needs. Um, and then, oh, by the way, we sell hammer and nails and, <laughs> and you yeah. need hammer and nails. So, yeah, everything just sort of came up together. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's easy to say that maybe you didn't have a big hand in it, but I don't know. It seems like a lot of this, these conversations and people giving people second chances goes a really long way because one of the things about people in addiction is if they get a few charges, it is hard for them to find jobs. And so when you have a, a a feeling of hopelessness, especially in terms of being able to generate any type of income while you're wanting to get clean or sober, it really can be hopeless. But if there's some, just a glimmer of, you know, being able to generate money and then also show up. And then you, you talked about that connection where even during COVID, they didn't want to just sit at the house. They wanted the connection. That's kind of the yeah. opposite of addiction is connection. Yeah. Um, Johan yeah. Hari talks about that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really cool to hear you talk about all this stuff and, and you just seem like someone that's willing to take these chances and, and really just hope for the best. And it, it keeps working out. Well, you know, I, so my, when we opened the first location, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of banning the box. And so there's a felony box on job applications, which mm-hmm. in some places yeah. probably is still legal. Mm-hmm. And I got my first job application. We, you know, got the form off the internet or something yeah. at the time and the box was there and Mark and I were talking about it. We're like, this just doesn't seem fair. And I don't know why we thought to think that at the time, to be honest, because we really just, I mean, we were so naive. And so we scratched it off. And mm. our actual very first employee was a returning citizen named Tommy, who ended up working with us for 12 years. And Tommy was amazing. And the best we could tell, Tommy had been in prison for 17 years. And we thought, if this is what, if this is the caliber of amazement we're going to get when we don't ask some of those questions, what are we missing if we do? And we just, we just decided that banning the box was going to be our way of hiring not knowing that one of the next people was going to be Shane and then we were going to have this completely yeah. whole other whole other world open to us. One of the first employees who stole from us, mm-hmm. I had, um, it, well, he probably wasn't the first, but he was the first that we caught. Um, he stole about $3,000. He was mm-hmm. a college graduate. He was from a family that had a business. He was, you know, upper middle class, wasn't out of prison, wasn't in recovery, like no, nothing. To, mm-hmm. everyone looked at him and thought he was the perfect job candidate and he stole money from us. Mm. And I thought it, it was a perfect example for me. It was a perfect lesson because I thought if he could steal money from me, anybody can steal money from me. Why would I discriminate based on any of these other factors? And that was it. Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's that kind of like radical compassion. 
And I, you know, people say, well, how many people have, you know, have you had to fire who've been in recovery? I'm like, are you going to ask me how many people I've had to fire who weren't in recovery? Right. <laughs> right. It's the, it, it yeah. needs to be, it needs to be all things equal if that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, so one of my, one of my favorite employees, um, I, I, I give a lot of public speak it, speeches and I was asked to speak one year to a group of moms who were coming back into the workforce after raising their kids. And we were just talking about skills they had. So I'm not a mother, uh, but I can imagine uh, little babies are really annoying sometimes. <laughs> well, if you go into the workforce, we'll use retail as an example, customers can be really challenging. So mm-hmm. these mothers had really honed in on some, some coping mechanisms by dealing with unhappy babies. They were also used to really odd hours. Babies wanted to be up at night. They wanted to be up in the middle of the day, whatever. Retail is sometimes a 24-hour-a-day business. Well, fast forward, I was giving that speech to somebody else, and I was telling them about the group of mothers, but I juxtaposed it with the fact that one of my favorite longtime employees had been a drug dealer. Hmm. He was used to odd hours. He was really good at dealing with difficult customers, and I don't mean to be stereotypical, but he had a lot of upset customers. And he was really good with money. He could count it, he could save it, and he could buy inventory with it. And I was like, I could hire a group of mothers just as easily as I could hire drug dealers. The same skill set. And the shock on people's faces when I have this conversation, because normally someone would say, how did you give him a job? How in the hell did you trust him? Um, Well, let me tell you about his skill set. He was perfect. And he was. He was great. I love it. And, you know, when a person gets in recovery and they get a job, I've what I've found is they're very hard workers because yeah. they, they there's a certain sense of gratitude and um, want to do good now that there's the chance. Yeah, you know, yeah, people yep. people slip and you know you're going to have yep. that those issues, but in general, it seems like the people that I know in recovery are very hard workers and like yeah. I, people that I've sponsored over the years. They were legitimately sick and didn't want to call out because of how many times they used to call out fake sick. Right. I'm like, I'm like here's the deal. <laughs> People actually get sick. You're not doing that anymore. You're where you work will understand. And they, but it takes because they don't want to miss out anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's you have to, you have to change that mindset, right? You're a, legi- a legitimate employee with, legitimate yeah. benefits that you should take advantage of in a, in a legitimate way for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is amazing. It's uh, and you have 10, 12, 13 locations. How many? We have uh we have 13. Yeah. We have 13. So across uh, DC, Baltimore, and then in a couple of the suburbs, but DC and Baltimore, you know, big cities basically that had yeah. almost no uh, hardware presence in yeah. the city. So we really, um, we found two great markets that really, really welcomed us. Yeah. So do you have people in recovery at all the locations? Yeah. Um, or is it? See. No, I th- probably all of them if we counted. So we don't, you know, we don't ask. Um, right. I would say probably half. I should write this down, David. Probably a third. No. Maybe a third of our management team is in, in recovery. Um, so I think the beauty of that, again, is that they also welcome people on their team who might need that opportunity. And so um, I don't actively call the managers and say, hey, I want to make sure that you're hiring folks in recovery. But I hear the stories and I know I know yeah. that everybody does. Yeah. Man, yeah. that's I mean, that's awesome. 
It's fun. It's great. I mean, it's, it, I, I've never, so I didn't talk about it. I don't feel like they're my stories. I did not feel like they were my stories to tell. And I had, um, uh, an amazing assistant. He, mm-hmm. He's passed away. Um, he, I was, <laughs> I was driving up to Baltimore one day and John was in the front seat and my husband, Mark was driving and I don't, somehow the story came up and John turned around and he looked at me and he said, you will talk about us. If you don't talk about who we hire, who will. Mm-hmm. And he was so serious about it. And I loved him so much that, you know, basically anything John told me to do, I, <laughs> I did. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he kind of gave me permission to start telling the stories because I think I really did just assume that everybody hired like us and everybody acted this way or built their culture this way. I mean, I wasn't naive enough to think that everybody truly did, but his point was, is that we really are um, kind of rare. And maybe if we talk about it more, more people will get the hints. And so um, I did, I started t- telling the stories more when I give my speeches I wrote the book basically to honor John's honor that sentence. Yeah. Let's just talk about it. Yeah. So what's the name of the book? So the book's called recovery hardware okay. uh, because of my teammate who said we were known as that in the community. I used to joke that if I ever wrote a book, it would be called from software to hardware because I was the tech reject. Yeah. And um, I went into the hardware business. And then when uh, Mark Watson is the employee's name, when teammates name, when Mark came to the office and, and said we were called recovery hardware, it was like, all of that was sort of around the same time with the conversation with John. Um, and it really just kind of gelled. And so I decided that I was going to write a book that told their stories. Um, because really, if I, when I sit down and think about it, some of the biggest leadership lessons I've learned came specifically from someone in recovery. And so I knew that that combination would not be something that most people would have read. Um, you know, most people wouldn't pick up a, a, a business book expecting to learn a lesson from a drug dealer. Um, and so I wanted to be able to tell those, tell those stories. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's out now. No, it's going to launch in September, which actually is national okay. recovery month. Um, I was hoping to have it launched sooner than that. And it's a yeah. long process. I mean, sure. I have seriously, yeah. uh, have you written a book? Don't do it. No, <laughs> no, Now, Is this self-published or is this, um, um, yeah, so I'm using a, a professional publishing company in, in Los Angeles. It was started by a woman who's Canadian. It was just a lot of fun, and, and she couldn't figure out how to publish a book that she wrote, so she started a publishing company. So I'm publishing with them. Um, they said that it's very hard to get traction for a book over the summer because I really thought I would be done and ready to launch around this this time frame. And they said, why don't you wait until the fall? And then because September was National Recovery Month, we decided that we would wait until then. The coolest part, I think, two two cool things. So the launch party is going to happen at the Whitman Walker Clinic. So it's still oh, right across right. the street. And the alumni from that program are going to be involved. And we'll do it as a fundraiser um, for WAS. And then uh, Shane started a restaurant last year. And he's going to host the second launch party at his restaurant. So I feel like they're just beautiful yeah. community tie-ins. And, you know, I might only sell two copies. but I get a chance to have a, a oh. party at two places that are so impactful for my business that I can't wait. I love it. And maybe in the fall I can um, re-air the episode and then you can, you know, we can. Oh, that'd be awesome. The- yeah. Cause it's, yeah. Um, I mean, it's very cool. It's just, there's a couple, there's a company here that it's a moving company and they hire people in recovery as well. Hmm. Do, um, you'll have to let me know what their name is. Cause I, I, kept telling my editor there was no way I was going to write another book. Yeah. And then I started thinking about how cool it would be to write about businesses like that. 
yeah. specifically because yeah. I've read about a couple now around the country that I think I would just love to be able to elevate their stories. So that'd be a good yeah. addition. I can do that. Yeah. Thanks. I can do that. Yeah. And um, thank, thank you. I've done illustration for the book covers for a couple of books. That, oh, cool. Yeah. So I'm more on the art side, but uh, it's interesting now that I'm doing this podcast and I've met so many people around the world, I, I've been writing notes about what, what would my book look like? Yeah. Yeah, because I this summer I'll be 16 years clean. Congratulations! Yeah, and thank Grade you. 16. And, yeah, and um, you know the journey. It didn't start at 16 years because I got clean the first time for everyone else, but I didn't want it for me, and so I went back out. Yeah. And so when I wanted it for myself, and I was at a new bottom, then it worked because I was doing it because I was yeah. sick of it. You know, so. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of different stories in there. So many amazing stories of seeing people come in, I mean, completely busted up and then yeah. turn their lives around by putting whatever the thing is down and then doing some inner work and making peace and amends and all that stuff. And really getting back in society, you know, because most of us, we end up in a room by ourselves in the end. Yeah. And it, and it could be someone that has a problem with alcohol or pills or has a good paying job. It doesn't matter. But in the end, they usually end up alone, you know? Yeah. And so that connection is, uh, I was really drawn to the story of what you're doing up there. So fantastic. Thanks. Yeah. So, well, you know, I think a lot of people, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, a lot of people, um, a lot of people, they like to say that we give second chances, but I think a lot of people never had a first one. Um, you know, so many of my, so many of my teammates had, um, you know, just really rough childhoods or, you know, their adolescent years weren't healthy. And Mm -hmm. so I don't think they had a first chance. And so I think for us, it's just a, you know, is there, is this the time, is this the right opportunity, the right time for the right opportunity? Um, Wow. That is, that is powerful. I mean, that's a very good point. Yeah. And I think that's, especially in areas where it's a single, you know, a single parent and, you know, the parents not around a lot and the cities, they can get involved with, I mean, it's everywhere. It's definitely everywhere, but yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. So is there anything that uh, you got coming up? You you do a lot of speaking and. Yeah. Well, my next two have nothing to do with this story, but I'm sure that I will figure out a way to weave in some of them. I'm speaking to a group of female engineers um, which I think will be really interesting. I mean, I, I sort of revere engineers because I think they must be geniuses. Yeah. Um, but I have to imagine that women in the engineering field have a lot in common with women in the hardware world that we're kind of unicorns. And so I think that'll be, it'll be interesting. And then I'm really just working on launching the book, trying to figure out who, yeah. who I can tell the story to. So, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I wasn't actually sure if old fashioned like book signings were still a thing. I mean, I went to several before yeah. COVID, but even, even that, I wasn't sure, like kind of a nobody author, do people still do book signings yeah. at bookstores. And so I'm actually going to, I'm going to work on a real book tour. I'm going to see if I can make it work as it just as an excuse to get to a couple of different cities and, yeah. and tell the story. And in some cases it'll be, uh, I'll, I'll include it as a fundraiser because I don't need to, you know, it's not like I need to make any money off of the book. I, I want people to hear the stories. And so, um, yeah. that's kind of what I'm working on. Yeah. And, Long story short. What would you, or- yeah. So what would you do with the fundraising? Where would you give it to the, uh, the, what is it? The place in your neighborhood? Oh no, I would like if I, so, um, so for, for example, I've been in communication with some friends in Chicago and one of my friends is the CEO of a really large, um, 
organization for foster foster kids. And oh, cool. one of my one of my teammates in the book uh, grew up in foster care, and so we talked about um, doing something there, and then the proceeds would just go to her organization. So it would kind of be a, a moving um, a moving fundraiser, a rolling fundraiser, if you will, yeah. because um, they do a lot. She does a lot of programming around resiliency and and you know life skills and things like that. And so there is a nice tie in. Um, regardless of the recovery, actual recovery piece. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to work, David. I'm going to just see. <laughs> well, I mean, that's once we get past if that idea of it's definitely going to work, it's a lot easier because, like, I didn't know what was going to happen with this podcast. I'm like, you know what? I just want to do it and see what happens. And it's really enriched my life. Like, you know, everything I'm hearing you do is really about service to others. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what else are we here for? You know, when we're young, there's ego and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to change the world. And, and life has a way of kind of saying, I I hear you, but you might need to be over here. Yeah. Something a little more impactful. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, well, with that, we're almost out of time. So I wanted to, you know, ask, I always ask guests, like, what would you like to share as far as your recovery nuggets, as far as working with people recovery or what? You yeah, well, we really had a time that went so fast. That was such a great conversation. Um, yeah. I, I think from an employer standpoint, I, I would say that I would, my nugget would be remember to have an open mind. Mm-hmm. Um, we as employers, I think, hold a lot of power and that we can change a lot of lives just with the power of the job, with the opportunity for a job. Um, and I, I think more employers need to remember um, how to use that appropriately, that power appropriately, for lack of a better way of phrasing it. And so I would say um, if, to the employers listening, I would say keep an open mind. That's beautiful. I really, I really dig what you're doing up there. And it's, I'm so glad that we got to meet. And yeah. And we'll stay in touch. I can't wait to see what happens with the book. And I'll, I'll definitely order a copy. So I've had Thank a few you. authors on and I. I, I usually get a copy of the book just so I can have it in my, my arsenal and, you know, it would, things it would make me very proud. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your, uh, your time. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. You too. Thanks again for listening to recovery nuggets podcast. We want to thank our guests this week. And uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can reach out on Instagram at recovery nuggets podcast. And the email is recoverynuggetspodcast at gmail.com. Also like and subscribe on Spotify and Apple. And be great if you leave a five-star review. That really helps out the podcast. And I really want to thank you for showing up for your recovery today. Disclaimer, Recovery Nuggets podcast and guests are not representatives of any 12-step program. I am not a doctor, counselor, or therapist. I share my experiences, strength, and hope. Guests of the show share their personal experiences and opinions. Take what you like and leave the rest. Each person's journey in recovery is unique. Thank you for listening to Recovery Nuggets Podcast.